Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. The conclusion of the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 40, uh, 48, uh, from verse 28 through chapter 50, the end of the book. Yeah, obviously, it's a lot of blessings, of course, for, for, for the sons, which is the dominant portion being covered here. Uh, and then, of course, obviously, the burial of, of Jacob and, and the ending for Joseph's time, too. So no other comments or questions, that's fine. We'll go into our, um, our study as far as more detailed uh, analysis here. So for the most part, we covered this, uh, I don't remember how many times we covered this, I've lost count how many years we covered this, this Torah portion, and I've covered it, lots of them. Uh, uh, I'm not going to go to intense detail about them, I covered them I think more thoroughly last year, I think, than I'd had uh, previously as far as individual prayers and such. But we won't go into too much detail. So in, uh, in this instance, obviously, so uh, they, J- Jacob, uh, Jacob, we talked about this before, Jacob made Joseph swear, and there's a reason he made him swear. We think, well, didn't Jesus say, yet you yes be yes, you nobody know, don't swear anything? Well, yeah, that's true, but also keep in mind that when Pharaoh is informed that Jacob wishes to be buried in Canaan and not in Egypt, mind you, Egyptians think Canaan is a dirty place. That's where dirty people live. That's where poor people live. Shepherds live up there, the scum of the earth. That's where they live. Why would you want to be buried there? That's ridiculous. So Egypt is superior to all forms. So if you wish to be buried, where would you want to be buried? And mind you, Egyptian religion States, you must be buried in your whole body form, not like burning, kind of like and then you bury them with your stuff because you need your stuff in the afterlife, you know, to fight off and rule things and whatnot in, in heaven. And so uh, that's their belief. So if you're buried anywhere outside of Egypt, then you're, you're making an affront to their religious philosophy, their religious belief system. So it, it's in Pharaoh's philosophy, well, everyone will be buried in Egypt, right? Who wouldn't be? It's the best place on earth because you get to go to heaven. Uh, so the idea of being buried somewhere else is ridiculous. It's a foreign concept. So Jacob knows this. He knows Egyptian philosophy well enough to say, hey, Joseph, I don't want you just to say you'll do it. You have to just swear to it you'll do it. Because then you go to Pharaoh saying, hey, Pharaoh, he made me swear. <laughs> and Pharaoh's, okay, fine. <laughs> Go ahead and bury him because the Pharaoh said, because he made you swear, you can then go ahead and do that. That was Pharaoh's reasoning. If he had not made you swear, well, then the opposite would probably be true. No, you bury him here in the land, much like he did for Moses. You know, stay in the land. You, you, you don't leave the land. Egypt's best, right? So it, 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 uh, Jacob was not foolish. He knew full well what the, what, the, what the process would be. And of course, that's what he wound up doing. That was the swearing purpose as far as to, in order to be able to use that to Pharaoh. Say, hey, yeah, Pharaoh, I'm sorry, but yeah, it's going to be king, yeah. And Pharaoh said, I'm sorry, I, I got to do what I'm told to do. And, and Jacob, my dad, made me swear, therefore I have to carry it out. Of course, then Pharaoh says, yes, go do so. So it, it was wise on Jacob's part to make sure that, that, that Joseph had to make a swear and to make that work. Uh, then, of course, obviously, Jacob gets... Uh, uh, 
sorry, Jacob gives Shechem to Joseph's descendants. Now, what that would mean, theoretically, if you're, those of you who are paying attention to inheritance, how inheritance works, is that regardless of who owns the territory of the land mass where Shechem exists, Shechem, the city, goes to Joseph's descendants. Much like how Levites got to individual cities pocketed throughout all the different territory of Israel, it would be that regardless of what happens, all the different pockets of cities the Levites get, this one, Shechem, goes to Joseph's descendants. Even if Judah owns it, or even if Benjamin owns it, it makes a difference. The city itself goes to Joseph's descendants. That was what Jacob was pointing out. Now, in reality, what actually happened, well, clearly Joshua took it. <laughs> Joshua, son of Nun, he took that territory, which he was Ephraim's descendant, and so that was, it went to Joseph anyway. The whole territory did. But uh, prior to that, there's no, we don't know whether or not that was pre-planned or not, because if I recall correctly, the, lot, the, the lots were drawn by, or the tribes were drawn by lot, who got their, their inheritance by lot. It was theoretically by chance, and it just happened to be that it would happen. The term happened loosely. God made it such that it would work out that way. So that was territory given to him. So that was the, the inheritance given to, to, to Joseph. Um, now, that's basically the end of 48. So it comes to 49, all the different prayer, uh, blessings. Now, we've covered this multiple times. I'll cover it briefly today, just so we, we, we touched base on it. So uh, keep in mind that we've covered this multiple ways and different perspectives. Those of you who have blessed your kids, at one point in time you have, or maybe you've been blessed when you were a child or your parents blessed you, whatever the case may be, that you've with that experience. The blessing a parent bestows upon the child is the intent what the parent wants for the child to do or be. That's the idea. That's how we use it modern day. But at this time in Jacob's life, that wasn't how blessings were used. Blessings in our Torah were used not to what, they, what the parent wants you to be, but the parent rather perceives you are. That you would bless be, matches what you are, what your character's trait is, which personality is, the kind of person human being you are, and that you will be extended or, or expand in that way. That was the intent of the Torah, uses blessings. No, those of you who have had kids, have you ever noticed your kids have different personalities? Right? They're all very different from each other. In some cases, opposites. some cases, very similar. The idea of a blessing in the Torah was that the parent would recognize the personalities of their children and say, okay, his or her behavior is a particular way. This is what their propensities are. This is what they, their, their abhorrence are, things that they hate. I'll bless them that they're, what, they, what, they, what they like will be a good thing for them, and what they hate will be a bad thing for them. They'll, they'll avoid things that they hate. That was the idea, and that was the intent, how it was used. Modern day, we just pour, you know, may God always bless you with good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Good stuff, good stuff. Don't mention bad things. Good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Dump more blessing than good stuff. We always pray for the best. We always that's what we do now. That wasn't how it was done at that time. That time it was, it was narrowed down specifically to your personality, your character, what, what you were drawn to, things that you liked or didn't like, things you hated or your, 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 your natural behaviors to watch for them. So let's say we're not just poor good stuff. It was a matter of, it was specifically to you as an individual as opposed to just good things poured, poured upon you. It's, it's done differently today than it was then. So in this instance, when he covers this, uh, Jacob points out that these are the blessings I see for my sons and their progeny, their descendants, at 
the end of days. He specifically narrows down. I'm going to focus now, not between now and then, but at least then, the end of days, this is what will look like for you and your descendants. That was his intent based upon their characteristic traits, the kind of behavior, the lives they've lived up to this point uh, and what they desired. So the case of Reuben, uh, that was obviously uh, the case of Reuben, which was covered in verse 3 of 49, verse 3 through 3 and 4. Uh, impetuous. Now, keep in mind, the term impetuous can be used lots of different ways. Now, in the Hebrew form of impetuous, it implies not lust, rather anger or power, that type of impetuous behavior. So we think of common thing. Oh well, because Reuben couldn't keep it in his pants, he, he saw this. He saw Bilchah. So, oh wow, I really want her, and and slept with her. Right? That's not <laughs> what the type of impetuousness that Jacob was referring to. Bilchah was an old lady compared to Reuben. He was not, you know, interested in her in that capacity. It was impetuous, the form of anger or 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 power desire. He wanted control or power or upsetness. That's what he was referring to. So uh, Reuben being impetuous, that was the type, it's not because of his lusts, but rather it's because of his anger or power desires. He would then, as a result, because he desires power, because he desires influence, because he wants control over, he won't get it. Because he wants that, he'll do whatever it takes to get it, he won't get it as a result. So he and his progeny descendants will not get those blessings. They will not get that, 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 that right. Even though he's firstborn, even though he's supposed to be his, because of his impetuous power anger issues, it won't go to him. It'll go to another brother. Now, of course, obviously, First Chronicles 5 covers very specifically, we'll get there real quick, I should remind as well read it to you. Uh, First Chronicles 5 covers what happened to that. It's Chronicles, hold on a minute. Uh, let's see, Chronicles, there it is. First Chronicles chapter 3, 4, 5. There's. First Chronicles 5 discusses very specifically about how this plays out in Reuben's... Now, mind you, keep in mind, remember, Jacob is focusing his attention upon, quote, end of days, end quote. That's the idea. So he's focusing on the end of days. Now, what, do we, what is end of days before we go too deeply into this? What is it? Some believe, well, it's when God comes down, or some believe it's when Messiah comes. We don't know. What, you could debate which one it happens to, believe, happens to be. In my personal Daniel Age's worldview, this is when Messiah shows up. That's my personal worldview. Now, others may think, no, 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 it's when God shows up. Well, either way, you can debate which one it happens because there's like a thousand year span difference between Messiah and God. So you can debate which one it happens to be. But in my worldview, it's probably Messiah's day, but I am willing to be open that it could be God. Uh, yes. Jeff. Maybe just a simpler way to put it is the messianic ages. That's fair. Messianic ages. That, that's a fair, 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 fair way of wording it, which, which would be kind of inclusive of both uh, in, in, how, in how the process works. So First Chronicles 5, it says here, First Chronicles 5, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright. And I continue on to, to regard to, to uh, genealogies of Judah and, the, uh, and other, other tra- tribes. So the birthright then is transferred from Reuben to Joseph, right? That's the deal. That's what happens. So the, the one would be the, quote, first, which would be the primary leader of these tribes, the primary influence, the primary nation or people groups that would be 
hey, we do this, everybody else says, okay, we'll follow you. That goes to Joseph and Joseph's sentence as opposed to Reuben's because Reuben wanted it and through his anger tried to get it instead of actually earning it. In Joseph's case, he actually earned it. Uh, yes, oh, Larry, your hand was up. Stepping on what you were going to say, but Joseph was the person who was next in line to be the firstborn anyway. Correct. Yes, he's, he's absolutely next in line to be firstborn. He's firstborn of, of, of far as firstborn of the women. Um, because the concubines, you know, they had women, they had firstborns too. They were not primary wives. So Leah and Rachel were primary wives. The other two were concubines. And so the firstborn would go from first wife, second wife. And then from after those two would go to concubine. First wife's concubine, second wife's. It's a messy family situation, just saying, okay? So they would go through the concubine sequence before we went back to first wife again. Um, it's a bizarre, yeah, it's bizarre. Anyhow, so uh, then, of course, after Reuben, obviously goes to Levi and Simeon. Uh, they are, their wrath or quick, the quick-to-judgment punishment style of those two individuals. Now, that, of course, was not Jacob's desire. Now, if you recall, obviously, Levi and Simeon were the ones who went to and destroyed and t- took out Shechem. We understand that. So, well, now, if you recall the story of Shechem with Dina or Dinah, if you pronounce her name, uh, and uh, uh, Shechem, the, the son who, who used her, who used her, and then they said, okay, you have to be circumcised first, right? Now, note, then the sons came and killed the, killed the whole city. They just, actually, all the, all the male this, killed, killed those two boys, two men, killed the city. They had to think to themselves, well, their excuse, their reasoning, their thought process was, wait a minute, these guys used our daughter as a harlot. Therefore, they deserve this. Um, for those of you who know Torah, <laughs> basic law, do you get executed for a non-murder offense? No, <laughs> you don't. So Shechem and Shechem's family and the whole city, regardless of what they did, if they didn't murder someone, execution is not the punishment. Execution, murder or killing, is reserved for someone who has taken a life. If someone takes a life here, you would take their life accordingly. Now, there are exceptions, such as kidnapping as an example, which you can argue that she that was being kidnapped, but the whole city didn't kidnap. Death penalty offense. You're right. And did. Uh, yes. Adultery is a death penalty offense. Oh, that's right. You're right. Adultery is a death penalty offense. You're right. That is true. The adultery is an example. If they, both, if they both were committing adultery. That's true. I forgot about the adultery. So in this instance, the whole town didn't deserve execution, right? The whole town was not involved in this scenario. But these two brothers had their execution, you know, scenario that they wish to 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 wield upon upon the nation upon that that, that city um i will point out we covered it last time also levi of course winds up being the priests as far as the priesthood as far as goes to levi uh and i personally don't age's opinion shows up here again uh the priest is probably the best position for him note that levi's job was to know the law and to be to be act like an accuser that's their job okay you've done this crime here is the punishment for the crime crime fits the punishment or punishment fits the crime then uh pay that crime whatever that's levi's job so he said why did xyz what do i do about it and he said oh uh for that crime or that this this sin here is your the look of the books 
and instructions are to this this task to do it's, it's pretty good of, of application of what levi's job was because that's the that's the job of which one would be a judgment judgment case all judgment cases but in that position the same time the priests don't get to lead the nation they don't become the, they, they aren't in charge of it I do granted that there was Eli for a temporary period of time that was kind of partially in charge of Israel for during the judges period, but he did a terrible job. God said, get rid of him. L- priests in general did not get to lead the nation. Kings could lead a nation. Judges re- lead a nation, but the priests did not. They're quick to punishment, quick to judge, but uh, that was not to be, be, be the way for them. They were not, they were not to be leaders or, or rulers over a nation. So Levi knows the law, but doesn't actually get to apply it necessarily. The king gets to apply it. Anyhow, so they get spread about. I can't speak to Simeon necessarily. He gets spread about also. I'm not saying as a Levite, but it gets spread about too. What happens when you're spread about? You're scattered. What's that? You have no place to, have no place to gather. There's no, no specific location to be. Can, um, can, a, can, a, can a people group gather and lead when they're scattered about? No. Can they lead and not gather when they're scattered about? A little bit, not as well though. Uh, if we, if, if you all know what a president of the United States is, right? Now imagine for a moment that all of his supporters were scattered about, and no one he couldn't gather them behind him in any given task. What would happen? How good of a leader would he be? He wouldn't. If, if, if there's no one to support or carry out your tasks, can you lead? No, you're just. A man on the sidewalk, you know, with a sandwich board, yelling and screaming, and no one listens to you as they drive past. Which I drive past. It's of no value to anyone. So the nature of being a lead, you have to have people behind you, or that are following your lead. Well, if Levi is scattered, they will not be behind anyone. If Simeon is scattered, they'll be behind anyone. There's no one for them to 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 support. Now, will pockets hear their support? Sure, but as a people group, they would not be. They say, well, what about Moses? They fell behind Moses. Yes, they did, temporarily. While Moses was still alive. (laughs) And then they promptly left. Moses, of course, was a Levite. But even in that, in Moses, they'd be following Moses, how many of them followed Korah? We don't know, but quite a few. He had 250 at the time, and how how many hundreds or thousands were inside the camp? Well, of course, even in, in the act of leading, Moses had dissenters and people who said, no, I'm not going to follow you. So regardless of even the, 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 most, the, the, most, the most, most dynamic leader they had, Levi had, still could not get the people to follow him. Like he said, Joshua, he got people to follow him. He was more successful of a leader. Of course, he was not from Levi. Probably the reason why. Uh, let's move on. So we have Judah. Judah kingship, of course, goes to kingship and the law. This is the lawgiver. Though Levi may be priesthood, the law, of course, is given through Judah, which makes somewhat sense. As you will know, that when kings dictate laws, that's what laws are. King Solomon, he made a lot of laws. King David had different laws. They did not necessarily match uh, in every way what the Levit- Levitical laws were, but they did carry them out, and the kings were job to do that. Uh, there is a, so. It, Judah's implied there's a strange mix between law and kingship, but that's what it worked out. And of course, his, he's dominant over most, most of his, his brothers. You will note that Judah being, that his brothers will bow to him, as far as uh, uh, acknowledge him as leader, 
that doesn't necessarily mean all the brothers will. It just means his brothers will. So some of the brothers may not. And in particular, bring up to the one who doesn't, who is Joseph. Joseph is not bowed to, 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 to Judah. There's no instance where Joseph's tribes bowed to Judah, even when they were fighting in the separated northern and southern tribes of Israel. Ephraim did not bow to Judah. They fought and continuously said no. After Zebulun, seashore. Now, I do realize that, that your, board, your, your instructions here says his borders will get to reach to Zion, uh, and that's debatable what that word means. And most have English translators have been very kind about it. They said, well, it must mean like his edges where he lives, but in the Jewish phrase there, the actual term means his sexual parts. Um, so it, it implies that he has some sexual deviancy that he has issues with. That's the term they would, re- would refer to. Uh, and Zidon, of course, where Jeze- Jezebel comes from, so it could be a somehow related to that issue. Mind you, these are things that Jacob claimed these sons and the descendants would be like at the end of days, in the Messianic era. This is what they're known for. This is their history. This is who they are, their identity and characteristic behaviors. I'm not pinpointing a particular nation, it's just, or nations. I'm just saying this is what the characteristics say. And of course, Issachar, the burden bearer. So in Issachar, he is struck between two burdens. So Issachar says, okay, I have two choices. I have a slave on this side, because this person, I'm a slave. I would be a slave to this person. I have somebody who's stronger on my right, stronger on my left. I must be a slave to both sides in order for me to have peace. So the person would compromise. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not strong. And as a result, this power over here or that power over there, I'm stuck between them. And as a result, I'll be their slave. I will serve them. So that nation, wherever it's located and whatever its activity is, is subservient to its two neighbors. One on this side, one on that side. Uh, so, and then after Issachar, of course, uh, then you have Dan, the vengeance, vengeance which is uh, an attack process. Uh, Dan's situation is to look for an offense in order to attack and take down that, this is to, to, to bite the, 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 the horse, the rider falls backwards, to take down somebody who is stronger and bigger than you are. Is a horse stronger and bigger than a serpent? Yes. Is a man who's riding the horse stronger and bigger than the serpent? Yes. By definition, they are. Physical size. Now, can serpents still kill them? Of course. They can bite the venom. But the nature of Dan is that Dan realizes, I'm not as strong. I'm not as big as these, this, the, these, the, these warriors, these nations bigger than me. But I will still call into offense and attack them. It's kind of like a uh, a, 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 actually, I, this is my personal, I would use it kind of like a lawyer. <laughs> his, his name means judge, after all, uh, to attack, well, I can take you down even though you're bigger and stronger than me. That's just how, I, it's, it's how I use the phrase, use the word. Uh, he's, still, he's, after looking for, he's looking for an offense in order to attack something that's bigger than him, to take, try to take it down, because the whole goal is to take the rider fall backwards off the horse, to take down those who are powerful and strong. In the case of Gad, it says his troop goes forward on your way you return. Now, some of your Bibles read this as return on his heels, as if he's fleeing. But uh, the Hebrew phrase doesn't say mean fleeing. It means to turn on the way he went out. So, and that implies he returns in peace. He goes out to attack. He's successful and then walks back. 
He's not running, fleeing back. He just returns to his own territory. So Gad's character trait is to attack and then go back home again. He's not a conqueror, even though he's known for this warring type ability. He attacks. Okay, now I'm done attacking. I have subdued the enemy. Now I'm leaving completely and getting out of here because I don't want, I don't, I don't want to hang around here. This is not where I want to be. To go back to their home territory. That's what the term means or t- tends to imply, as opposed to one who flees and like runs away at a, as if they've been defeated. Asher has obviously his food, the finest foods, it, it fit for wealthy kings and most powerful individuals. Uh, it's typically implied as far as uh, the, 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 the kings don't steal these things, rather they buy them. So Asher is someone who sells these items, sells items like, like a Belgian waffles example. So you something you pay for. Uh, this example, which implies again, obviously in Hebrew, the term of, 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 of fine foods usually is reserved to oil foods. These are like olive oil. These are the oil of rich foods. As opposed to today, we think of it as rich as well. Sweet, lots and lots of sugar. I don't know if, if, if Jacob was thinking about sugar for Asher or not. Maybe he was. Maybe he, Asher has a sugar, sugar, sugar tooth, sweet tooth. But either way, it's usually referred to oils and, and breads. So Asher would be pastry type of scenarios. And kings don't fight him for it, don't take from him, but they buy from him. So his nation or his people groups we known as somebody who, who is well off and the best types of foods that both kings or wealthy individuals will pay for to have at their tables. And of course, Naphtali says, to deliver us fine sayings. Well, in modern day vernacular, that means he's a book publisher, publishes writings, has awards for communications, music, things of that nature, that's what he would be known for. So whatever this nation or group of people is, mostly be associated with things which you write, things which you publish. I mean, Jeff's a writer, he publishes articles, right? That would be what Neftali is known for. Somehow with publishing or things that people want to read, want to understand, comprehend, either scientific articles, uh, in-depth reporting, whatever the case would be, that's what their nation should be known for. And of course, obviously, since they're fine sayings, that means they're being rewarded. So there's some kind of an award system for those things. Uh, some kind of being known for that type of process as far as uh, rewarding those who, who, who produce those types of things. Then, of course, the, the, the second to last week, Joseph. And Joseph's blessing course is unparalleled favor. So there'll be desire, uh, he'll be the desire of daughters who look, to look for him, looking for husbands to marry, so to speak. Uh, he'll be hated by stronger nations, but those strong nations will be too weak to attack him. He'll be too powerful. Even though they're strong and they have lots of power, they look at Joseph, okay, you're just too strong for us, so we can't conquer you. Uh, he's too strong to fight directly. He'll be the leader. This is the leader of the stone of Israel. So he'll be the one, all of Israel casts their foundation, their, their weaponry, their tools behind. So, okay, Joseph, whatever you want to do, we'll follow suit. We will help ask for help for you and you'll be the primary as we all follow your direction in life. And obviously unparalleled favor in both uh, a military leader, of course, the tribes, but also endless blessings as far as it says the, from heaven above. So it, it will be the greatest, not single nation, but greatest two peoples. Remember, Jake, Joseph is two peoples. So the greatest two nations on earth and at the time of the end of days, or whatever that may be. What's that? Some argue, right, what that means, like today, if we're in the end of days or not. But either way, in this instance, the blessing will be the, the two greatest of all of them. Oh, sorry, two, two, two of the nations will be greatest of all of them, uh, as far as how, how it works. And it sort of goes endless, uh, the, 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 your boundaries 
uh, well, the, 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 the world's hills, which means there will be no boundary. You don't have a particular fixed location only. You're everywhere. And that's the idea. Joseph will be everywhere. There's no spot which he does not have influence or, or, or power over in some, some capacity or another. And Benjamin, of course, the wolf uh, praying, so uh, that takes his prey, the goods of victims, and distributing. So uh, I won't say necessarily it's an, it has to be you know, a particular individual, but in the case of a, a wolf, what's a wolf's job? Well, a wolf's job is to stalk and hunt down and pursue their enemies, pursue their, their victims, right? The victim can be a nation. It can also be a people group too, by the way. He, he points out victims. He does not say nations. He says victims. So the idea is that it can be a particular people group that Benjamin hates or is after trying to, to destroy and take not just because he hates them, but he wants their stuff. So Benjamin would know, okay, I'm someone who wants your things. I will t- take you, make you a victim, kill you off, destroy you, take your stuff and share it amongst my people in nature. The spoils, share the spoils. I'll share them amongst to take yours. They're, they're, it's, a, it's a type of a, of a thief in nature, but killing you in the process. So it does not have to be necessarily a nation. It could be a group of people that, they're, that, they're, that they victimize. Oh, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Well, there's an example, of course, obviously in, in Judges 19 and 20, which we won't go to today, uh, regarding the nature of Benjamin when it comes to the concubine that uh, they wind up killing. Wind up killing. In, that, in, in that particular people group that was in the, in the nation. And that concubine, of course, resulted in the nations, all of the tribes attacking, and Benjamin handily defeated them the first two times <laughs> with no real effort. Uh, and the goal was to, because Benjamin wanted to take. Now, eventually, of course, Benjamin loses, but it took a lot for Benjamin to lose uh, in, in order both times for them to be corrected on it. And that, again, also, though, that what takes place in the Judges, but in Jacob, uh, the Judges chapter 19 and 20, uh, but that, that story for Benjamin happens in the book of Judges, but in reality, Jacob specifically says, this is the end of days. So when the Messianic era, when Messiah is around, this is what your people, your nation, you'll be known for. This will be your history, your, your status at that time. However you got there is how you got there. But at the time which Messiah is here, Messianic era, this is what you will be, your, your most famous events, this will, will, will be what they are. And that's your, that's your identity. Now, that was Jacob's intent for blessing his sons. The idea being that at the end of days, between now and then, it may be various variations, but at the end of days, that's what your end result will look like in the whole winding course of history that you live through. This is your end result. Uh, then, of course, that's the end, of course, obviously, of all, of all the different tribes being blessed. Jacob then, of course, dies. And they bury him. So Jacob's, of course... Lived, buried in, in, as I mentioned earlier, when it started out that he made jo- Joseph uh, swear he would bury him in Canaan, not in Egypt. And I already mentioned the fact that you know, Pharaoh agreed to it because he swore to him that that would happen. Now, Jake, uh, Joseph ends his life too in this chapter, or this book. Uh, uh, verse uh, verse uh, 20, 23, 24, 20, 24, 25, 26, Joseph dies at the end of chapter 50. Now, it points out here, those of you who, who, who do this kind of thing, because it's, it's one of my minor hobbies. Um, and Joseph says to his brothers in verse 24 of chapter 50, about to die, God will bring you up out of here, the land, swore to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, verse 25, then Joseph would join Israel, saying, when God will indeed remember you, you must bring the bones up out of here. Now, that's what happened. You know, Moses, and they get ready to leave, you know, 210 years later, 220 years later, 
They wind up leaving, and that's why they take his bones with him. Joseph died at the age of 110 years old. They embalmed him, his place in the of Egypt. Now, Joseph was able to live, verse 23. He got to see the three generations of the third generation of, of his kids or, or through Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, those of you who, who pay attention to this, I have my uh, change. How do I change the... You, you change the, 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 the... Oh, he did. Thank you, Jeff. He changes the, the thing online. Thank you, sir. So in this case, I'm going to write it up here a little bit, just basic, just aware of how these, how these you know, basic stuff work here. Make sure my, my markers, yeah, markers on the screen. So you have uh, Joseph. Now, of course, he has two sons that we know about. There may be others, but it's not recorded. But he has two sons that we, that we know about that's listed here. Uh, the others, which would be included in both, um, uh, in, in both these, these boys' names. There's Manasseh. Let's see. So, and then there's Ephraim here. Now it says Joseph got to see or raise up the sons or on, 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 their, on, their, um, on his knees of the third generation of Manasseh and Ephraim. Now we already know uh, some of the, the children of Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, we already know from Numbers 26 that Manasseh's primary son was Gilead. So Manasseh's son was Gilead. That's in Numbers 26, verse 29 to 33. Now, Gilead had lots of kids, all right? He had a lot of, well, I don't know how many daughters he had. He had a lot of sons listed. He may have had a lot of daughters too, I'm not sure. But Gilead had a lot of kids. He was a prolific young man. Or old man, I don't know how, how old he was when he had his kid. He had Jazir. Um, he also had uh, uh, Helka. Oh, sorry, Helek. Helka. Helek. He had um, uh, Asriel. He also had uh, Shechem. No, he didn't have 50 kids. He had a lot of kids, though. That's a Gideon. Gideon. Gideon is this is this Gideon's much 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 later. Uh, Shechem. Then after Shechem, he also had uh, Shmita. And then we had uh, Hefer. And then of course the most famous we all know Zelophehad. So now I don't know how many of these sons, Jezir, Helek, Asriel, Shechem, Shemitah, Hefer, and Zulophahad, um, that J- Joseph got to meet or know, but at least some of them, or minimum one, it says sons plural, so I'm, I think at least two, of these sons, Joseph got to know at, at, at 110 years old, right, before he died. Now, Zloph had, of course, famous one. He had the five daughters, right, that Moses deals with. One, two, three, four, five. I don't roll the names. But Zloph had, had, he died in the wilderness with, with, with the Israelites when they, when they left, left Egypt, right? They went to the Red Sea. He died then. And 40 years later, his daughters come to Moses and say, hey, you know, dad died in his own sense. He deserved it kind of thing. Uh, but we're all daughters. He had no sons. What do we get? What do we do? And they said, well, said, okay, well, God said, then women can inherit if there are no sons. But then they, all these other brothers, descendants from these other siblings, 
said, well, well, wait, but it'll, it'll leave our nation, our tribe. You can't do that. And God said, no, 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 no. It's fine as long as they marry within the tribe. So his five daughters had to marry, you know, people, sons, descendants from these, uh, these other six brothers. So Gilead, that's the most famous individual by the, to Gilead. So Joseph would have known at least some of these guys. I don't know if all of them or not, but at least some of them by the time he was 110. Now, we don't know how old Gilead is or was when he had all these boys, but at least some of them Joseph knew. He may have been an old man when Zelophehad was born. Who knows? Zelophehad was his youngest son. So probably Joseph probably didn't know Zelophehad, but he would have known the other three. Was that? They married first cousins. Yeah, they all married first cousins, which is better than sisters. <laughs> or even some of the cousins. Yeah, they could be, they could be pretty hard. I don't know how many, how many descendants are down here. There could be a few that they went down. Uh, we don't know their exact ages. Because Jazir being the oldest and Zulfad the youngest, it, he could be like, you know, two or three generations down at, at Jazir's age. We're not sure. But anyway, so Moses deals with this guy. And when it, Moses is roughly 80 years old. These two have interactions because Zulfad dies. He's one of the guys that, that Moses and Aaron lead out of Egypt. Uh, so Moses deals with this guy and knows him. He may not have, may, may not have met these gentlemen, the other, the other sons of Gilead. But anyway, so this is, uh, Joseph knew these people. You can see there's not that far a distance from jo- generation-wise from Joseph's through till Zelophehad and Moses. I mean, we're not talking, you know, you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It's, you know, a short distance, a few generations. Ephraim had sons too. Ephraim's sons are a little bit more complicated to figure out. We, we know their names, don't get me wrong. But what's difficult is who begat who later because it's, it's funky in, in the way they recorded. I'm going to shift this up a little bit and record down Ephraim. We'll rewrite Ephraim here. It says that he knew them too. Um, as far as, but I don't know how many he knew. Ephraim's sons, as far as our, our Torah lists them, are three initially. So it's uh, Shuthela. That's right. And then there was uh, Bechir, who was also known as Beria. He has two names. Uh, Beria. There's a... On, uh, Chronicles records of his Beria, just different different spelling of, of his name of Bekir. And then his third son, which was his last one listed in the Torah, Tahan. Which is actually funny, that's where, actually, if Lee and Diana, your name Teha, and that's actually where it comes from. It's, it's Adnan after him. Or, no, after me, it's the same name. <laughs> Teha and Tahan, it's the same it's the same uh, 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 Hebrew spelling. Anyway, so, and that's how he's, how he's, uh, his, his three sons. Now, um, in, in Chronicles, this is First uh, Chronicles 7, it records the sons of Bechir and Tahan. In uh, that Tahan has the three sons, which is who, we, who we're interested in, because uh, we, we know these guys. Uh, this one you don't know, La'adan, La'adan, you probably wouldn't pay attention to his name. But then his second son is Amihud. And his third son was Nun. Nun. You know, who, who's, who is the son of Nun? Joshua. Nun has Joshua. Joshua, son of Nun, which is son of Tehan, which is son of Ephraim. Now, Amihud, we only know him because uh, uh, Elishama, he was the leader of the tribe of, of, of Ephraim. Oh, move it up some, sorry. Leader of the tribe of Ephraim. Uh, at the time which Moses, this is early numbers, it discusses this. So it was as uh, Elishama. Elishama. Uh, 
that's how it's recorded. So the, th that's how we know these descendants as far as who they are and such. Now you can see that it says Joseph got to meet his, his, his race's grandkids. So Joseph would have known, uh, oh, by the way, Bechir or Beria has uh, two sons of his own, by the way. I couldn't find any sons of Shelutha. I'm not sure what his sons were. But his, uh, Bechir or Beria has sons of, let's see, Rifa, R-E-P-H-A-H, -H, and then uh, Resef, R-E-S-H-E-P-H. And Resef has another son named Tela. So, um, if Joseph would have gotten to a chance to meet, he says his grandsons, plural, so he would have met probably two, or one or two of these boys, Rifa, Reshef, Ladan, Amihud, or Nun, who would have known prior to his death. He would not probably have known Joshua. Joshua was a very young man when Moses shows up. And he, probably, he may not have known Nun either, because he obviously, Ephraim had uh, multiple sons. He could have just known the oldest ones. We're not sure. Uh, Joseph, uh, the oldest ones. But either way, uh, this generation, this generation here, circle it, that's about the generation which Joseph dies in sometime during that generation. And I'll say back to, to Manasseh, this is the generation that Joseph dies in. Now, Joseph was one of the earliest ones to die of his, of his brothers, uh, as far as the other brothers would have lived a little bit longer, in particular Levi, who would have known all these guys. Yes, uh, uh, Tammy. Well, because in the prophecy, it mentions Makir, the son of Manasseh. Where is he on your list here? Yeah, so Manasseh's one's recorded. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Did I miss Makir? I apologize. Hold on a minute. Let me read that again. Oh, I apologize. Makir is, I, I'm screwed up here. Manasseh's son was Makir. Makir's son was Gilead. I apologize. I got, the, I got mixed up in my notes here. I apologize. I missed, I missed Makir, his grandson. So. The third generation. So, third generation, third generation of Manasseh. So who would have known Manasseh? So one, two. Manasseh's generation, one, two, three. Third generation from Manasseh. He would, he's still known these same guys, but I forgot there's a generation here. There's Makir stuck in here. I apologize. Thank you for catching me on that one. So, it was Manasseh, Makir, and Gilead. This is the third generation from his sons. So, it would have been Manasseh's grandson. Grandson? Yeah, Manasseh's grandsons, he would know. So he's Manasseh's grandsons. Oh, it would be Gilead. He would know Gilead. That's Gilead. He would know Gilead then. I apologize. Not this age. Gilead, he would have known. Ephraim's is correct. The Ephraim's sons. He would have known Gilead then. Maybe not this is the other brothers. I apologize on that one. But he would have known Ephraim's grandsons, which were all these guys. So I apologize. My little notes, you were screwing on this one. This day, he would, he would have known Gilead. So Joseph knew Gilead. And then he knew Ephraim's sons of Rifa, Rishav, Ladan, Amihud, and Nun. So Joseph would have known these guys. I apologize. Thank you for catching me that, Tammy. Where do my notes? I just I literally just skipped Mahir sitting right here. Oh well. Yeah, grandchildren Mahir. Apologize for that. Okay, so yeah, these are the sons he would have known. These are the people he would have been, 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 been familiar with or been around Nun's brothers and sound about as far as how he would have known them. Does that make sense? He may not have known Noon himself, but he would have known Noon's brothers and such. All this reminds me of uh, my family. My oldest uh, great-granddaughter uh, just got engaged, so there may be a chance that uh, I will you might meet, get to know your, your, I might get to meet that third, a blessing. third That's generation. Cool. It's pretty cool to do so, too. And it, it's, it's a blessing to be able to have lived that long, Yeah, to know your great 
I, I grandchildren. Great, I'm a great great grandmother by the fact that um, I have an add-on. An from, add-on. And, uh, well, I call oh, them add-ons because they're not blood related. Right, they're through, through marriage. They're, they, okay, they're they're married with children. Got it. Got like it, that, got they bring yeah, the yeah. children in. Oh, okay. So I'm a great great grandmother that way. But this one, you know, is is blood. Your, your blood, so, blood relative. Uh, there's a chance that I could be a great great grandmother within the next year or so. Or that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it, it shows. The, so the whole point is, and this this part here. So the whole purpose of going through uh, these stories, as far as the genealogies, is not so much a who be at who per se. The point is, what is the blessing? So Joseph was blessed by by uh, 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 Jacob to be exceedingly blessed beyond his brother's blessings. Now, we discussed about their children, which is one of the blessings Joseph would have and receive, to see his grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren in some of these instances. So that's a great blessing to have. And Joseph, in the sense, would, be, would have these blessings. They'd be blessed not only in their, in their projects as the fruit of the womb, their, their children, as well as, of course, in their, in, in their wealth. But uh, what I want to bring up to you on one of the topics we're going to discuss this for the next balance of our time is that Jacob had blessed his sons. As I mentioned before, it was a narrow focus blessing. It was a mixture of kind of a blessing and kind of a, you know, almost like a correction in some ways, right? It was narrowly focused. I suppose like we do today, we just pour blessings on, pour blessings on more and more and more and never talk about negative, only discuss the positives only. We always want the best for our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, Right. That's the idea. That was the intent. Well, in this instance, we have that Jacob didn't do it that way. And mind you, neither did Isaac. When Isaac had blessed Jacob and Esau, it was a blessing to, 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 to Jacob and a semi-blessing to Esau, almost like a semi-curse in some ways. So why did he just say, well, may God bless Esau with almost the exact same thing with Jacob, but, you know, with identical, it wasn't. He, he narrowed it down. It was not the same blessing. So those blessings meant something, and they narrowed it down. It, it meant something that was different than what we think of today. Well, in this instance, there's other people who also died. Our Haftor portion, which is a little different than this, mind you, but it's in First Kings. It always talks about the idea of, of when you're dying, what do you do? What is your legacy? What was Jacob's legacy to his sons? His legacy was the blessings that you would have at the end of days. That was the idea he would pass on this legacy to his children. What's my legacy to my children? Well, honestly, dominantly, it's the belief and trust in God. That's all, that's all, all thing I have to give them. I have nothing else to give them. I, I'm not a wealthy person. I have lots of stuff. He believe and understand what God is and God, what God's done for me and my family and for you and why you exist. That's what all I can give them, which is a good thing. But that's what I can give them. And so I can't give them lots of stuff I at least give him that, if nothing else. So in this instance, uh, we have David now. This is, by the way, 1 Kings 2 is our Haftor portion. David is dying too. Just, this was the point was given, obviously, when Jacob was dying. 1 Kings 2, 1 Kings 2, 1 Kings 2. This, yeah, 1 Kings chapter 2. And this is when David's dying, he's talking to Solomon. Now, David is not the same kind of person that Jacob was, nor the kind of person that Joseph was. He had a different mental state of being, different way of life. Now, in, in David's case, he does not view the end of life the same way as the forefathers did, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. David views it a little bit differently. 
In chapter 2, 1 Kings, it records the following. Then the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, they said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Pause there for a minute. So that's the blessing, the initial blessing David gives, which just sounds great. It's a great blessing. May God bless you, and this time he's going to do it. Follow his instructions. Follow the way of life he taught you to follow, and you will be blessed accordingly. And this is how you get your blessing. Now, if I tell my child, may God bless you with, you know, I don't know, make something up, uh, with some great thing, whatever the great thing is, and don't tell him how to get it, what a blessing is that? I think James across the same problem. I think it was James. Yeah, it could be wrong. It could be James who said it. When someone's poor and hungry, you say, oh, well, God bless you and give them on their way. What good is that? <laughs> Why did you waste your time? Uh, or, or uh, for example, actually, what Pamela brought up earlier during our, our prayer session. This is about these people who lost their homes in tornado country. Oh, I'll pray for you. Okay, how about, you know, donate something? <laughs> these people lost everything, right? Uh, how help them in some physical way too, not just, it's not that prayer is bad. Nothing wrong with prayer. Nothing wrong with it at all. And someone says that's all you can do. But in the case of, hey, I have the means to assist, help. So in this case, when it came to, to, to David's case, okay, Solomon, may God bless you, but to get the blessing, this is how you're going to have to do it. That's a helpfulness. If I tell somebody, you're hungry, that's great. I'll feed you, but you want to earn money. You want to money to buy food, right? If you do this task, look, my yard needs to be kept. I'll pay you for working on my yard. I can use the minutes to help them along their way. I believe Messiah pointed out, I think it was him who said it, uh, uh, teach a bit of fish. Give it a fish. No. Give it a fish, feed it for a day. Teach a fish, feed it for a lifetime. Paul. I wonder what I said. So the idea was that the Give them the instruction that goes with the blessing. You want the blessing? Here's how you get it, right? I ran across that not too long ago with my own siblings. Uh, a a misconstrued mis- mis- idea as far as why we follow God and what, we, what, what, what purpose of it is. It's not just because we're bored. <laughs> we want the blessings to come with him, the blessings to come with the following of God. It's the instruction. I do this because I want the blessings he promised me. Something there's nothing else to do. This is, this is the goal. It's the blessings. That's what motivates all of us. We'll talk about it later. That, that was the idea. So in, in this principle, that, that the reason you want the blessing, which is good, but to get the blessing, is that here's how you do it. Follow these instructions. So let's move on. Uh, in verse uh, 5, now let's go, this is where it changes David's idea for how blessings work. Verse 5 says, and this is back to 1 Kings 2, verse 5. It says, Moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zeruiah did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner the son of Ner, and Amas the son of Jether, whom he killed. And he shed blood of war in peacetime. 
and put blood of war on his belt that was around his waist, and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore do according to your wisdom, and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. But show kindness to sons of... Well, actually, pause for a minute. Verse 6. So this is a David's hit list. All right, kill off Joab. Kill Joab. Kill him off. Don't let his gray go to peace. So don't let him die of old age. He needs to pay for his murders. They did... Now, it says in peacetime. It wasn't in war. This is a true, true murder, as you think of a murder. So this is the idea as far as what he did. He was, he, this man had killed somebody. Now, mind you, he's, he's the son of Zeruiah, who is David's sister. So this is, this is David's own nephew. Okay, so, kill my nephew, Solomon, your, 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 your cousin. Kill him off. He, this guy needs to die for what he's done. Now, that was not something given to Jacob's sons, was it? Here's your blessings by here's my hit list. That wasn't done that way, was it? Now, David on the other hand said, no, 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 here's a hit list and my blessing list. Bless these people, kill these people. That's, how can, what kind of blessing is that? What kind of, 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 of granting of kindness or whatever to your sons is that? It sounds strange, doesn't it? Now, we talked about this years and years ago. We went through this, literally years ago about the idea of what David was doing. Now, Joab was a murderer. He had killed two men who were not at war with him. He tricked them and killed them all, slaughtered them. Now, God pointed out murderers be executed. Now, Joab wasn't an all-bad guy. He did a lot of great things, too. He was a good man in many, many ways. But at the time, which I covered this years ago, considered this philosophy if you are a murderer and you murdered someone and you are not punished for that, what happens when you die? When do you get punished? By God. So if I am a murderer, I've murdered someone, is it better to be punished in this life or the next? This life. So we think, well, David has this hit list, these people he's going to kill. Yeah, it is a hit list. At the same time, it's a blessing list, those individuals who's going to kill off. Because if they aren't punished for what they did, God's going to have to be the one who does it. Better off in this life and say, God, hey, I paid for that crime. And I'll say, oh, yep, sure, if you did. Move on. <laughs> As opposed to saying, no, you didn't. Now here's your punishment. I'd rather have man punish me in this instance and fall in the hands of God and punish me in that. So it's both a hit list plus a blessing list all, all come, combined together. See what it says, uh, verse, back to verse uh, 7. Show kindness to the sons of Bar- Bar- Barzillia, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And see that you, that you have with you Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from Baharim who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanim, but he came down to meet me at the Jordan. And I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him, but bring his hair down to the grave with blood. So in the case of this individual, it was Shimei, 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 son of Gera. He had cursed David and said, you're a bloodthirsty man. You deserve this, that your son's trying to kill you off because what you did to Saul and his family, you're a terrible human being. May God curse you and destroy you for this. That's what he told David, that David was fleeing with his life for his life. 
Now David pointed out, okay, told Shimei when he got when he got back, I'm not gonna kill you for what you said. Now at the time when he was saying it, uh, Joab said, Can I just lop his head off? He's right there. He's right. I, it's, right it's Joab. I, I, can I just kill him off? He's cursing you. He shouldn't be. Can I just kill him? And they said, No, don't kill him. Maybe I needed to hear someone cursing me. That was David's reasoning at the time. Maybe I need to hear someone saying, I'm an awful human being, to bring me spiritually low, as low as I feel. I need to be, hey, I need to humble myself. That was David's thought process at the time. When Absalom dies and is, is defeated, David comes back and said, don't worry, as Shemai comes groveling back to him, saying, please don't kill me because I cursed you at your time of need instead of helping you. David told him, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. We've had enough bloodshed for the day because David had just lost his son. He wasn't going to kill more people. We've had enough killing. Now, David is deathbed, but hey, that guy who I didn't kill, make sure you kill him. Okay, now, this is an interesting problem. Unlike Joab, Shimei didn't kill anybody. So Joab was a murderer. It made sense. Shimei just was a curse person. He cursed someone with words. Now, those words in Judaism, your words are much like a sword. Words can kill people. Not physically, but spiritually. Um, you've heard the idea of what we call it verbal abuse. You've heard that term, right? Sometimes parents will verbally abuse their children or children verbally abuse their parents. Verbal abuse. We're not discussing teenage years. <laughs> That's a different problem. <laughs> We're discussing you know, genuine abuse, all right? Uh, we should have no self-control in it. Now, in Judaism, they're functioning uh, as, 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 as killing someone's spirit, killing their personality, their, their function, what's inside them, their, their life, not by physical blood, by spiritually killing them. So, but that's still a stretch when it comes to actual killing someone, isn't it? And to my mind, that would be a stretch. But in David's case, he's pointing out this man should die for what he did. Now, he said, well, but how, how is that justified? How is that right? How is that, how is that the correct thing to do? I won't say it's right. I just won't. Sorry, you can think it is or isn't. I just won't say it's right. It just is. You know, the, 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 the Torah and the Bible does not make excuses for human beings. They do what they're going to do. At the same time for Shimei, imagine, because David was a messianic figure, imagine someone comes along and yells Messiah and says the same thing to Messiah when he was alive. Now, in some ways they did. <laughs> some ways they did call him awful things and name terrible things. He deserved the, the evil and spat upon him. Some instances they did, they did do that. Now, in Messiah's case, he forgave them, which is what the instruction ideally would be uh which which our new testament verse we'll get to in the next two minutes three minutes or so as i finish this verse off but what messiah actually said this is how you this is how you should conduct yourself in both these instances this this type of scenario um let's see what he let's finish it off though uh in verse 10 so david rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of david the period of David reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seventy reigned in Hebron and Jerusalem, and he reigned 33 years. Uh, and then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David. His kingdom was firmly established. So that was the blessings that David gave when he died. Now, Messiah didn't die yet, but he was giving blessings too, more of, a, kind of an instruction of, of, of perspective on life when he was approaching his end to his disciples. So John 13 discusses Messiah's way of this is how, this is the better solution for what you're dealing with in, in the life you will run across. 
There's John 13. This is this is the 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 uh, the Passover uh, uh, section of Passover when he was washing disciples' feet. So he gives a few messages and instructions as far as when things happen to you, uh, pay attention. There's a reason for it, but this is how you're going to handle it. For the feast of Passover, uh, when Jesus, this is verse uh, 1. When Jesus knew that his hour had come, he should depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Supper being ended, the devil having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid his garments aside, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin, began to wash disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you, are you washing my feet? She said to him, What I am doing, you don't understand now, but you will know after it. He said, Well, you shall never wash my feet. She said, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon Peter said, Well, then, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head. Jesus, Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. It's completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. He knew who would betray him. So he said, not all of you are clean. He went and had washed their feet, taken his garments, sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and so you say, well, for so I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one of those feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most surely I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, you are happy if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you, but I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me and lifts his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most surely I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, this is, no pause there for a minute. This was Messiah's parting words, so to speak, to all of his disciples. You will note that his primary message here was the idea of do unto, do to each other. You are serving, I'm serving, I'm showing you by example of cleaning your feet, serving you as a, as, as a lowly servant to those who are supposedly lower than I am, but they're really not. The Messiah had lifted up his servants really high. So in the case in which we give Messiah's example, of do to one another as I have done for you, as far as the idea of serving one another and, and, and taking care of one another in that capacity, is that anywhere similar to David's instructions to, to, to Solomon? Now, my instinctive answer would be, not really. Maybe in part with Job, but not with Shimei. That was not, he, David had forgiven Shimei at the time, but he really didn't forgive him, did he? Now, because clearly he didn't. He told Solomon to kill him off. Someone does, but he told him to kill him off. That wasn't true forgiveness. I have a question for you. Don't answer it. But when you forgive someone, what does it mean to actually forgive? It means you won't remember it either. You may have learned some lesson along the way, but you won't remember the offense. I just talked about this last week, talked about the idea of how the process of reaching forgiveness was. And the idea was you wouldn't bring it back. You wouldn't bring it back to memory to recall it again and bring it back up again. As I, the, 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 the idea that you will, you will always hold that grudge against them. In the cases of David and Shammai, Shammai cursed David, but David didn't truly forgive him, did he? He said he sort of did. I'm not going to kill you for it. That's not the extent of it. 
eventually forgive him at all. Now, in this case, Messiah is pointing out that you're doing this whole process, and of course, Messiah then allows Judas Iscariot to go off and do his thing. As far as how he has to, has to, 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 to deal, he, he, I'm not going to go with the rest of it. It's the tw- 21 through, through, through 30. Um, he, Judas Iscariot is a process of which he goes out and, 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 and gets the, 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 the authorities to arrest him, to be, could betray him. And that was the idea that that, that, that was going to happen as far as not all of you were clean. He's going to remove that which is unclean. Now, in the process of taking the disciples and washing their feet, and John's point that he said, you're not all clean because he knew Judas Iscariot was going to, to, to uh, betray him. I'm going to remove that which is not clean of you and put it away from you, get it out of you, which case was Judas Iscariot, to leave. Now let's go back to David. So what was David acting of Shimei? If Judas Iscariot was part of Messiah's entourage, his disciples, and he had to remove him, to make the rest of them clean. What was David telling Solomon then? Because of Shimei, the words that Shimei gave. You have to remove him. You have to remove the person who in their heart, Shimei's heart, was to curse and hate David, to want him destroyed, want him gotten rid of. That's what David was focused on. The inside of Shimei was not a good man. The heart was evil. The heart was intent on corruption and destruction and hatred. Get rid of that. So Shimei wasn't a murderer. Shimei wasn't a, a killer by nature like, like Joab was. But in his heart, he was. He, wasn't, he didn't physically kill, but he emotionally, mentally, spiritually wanted to and tried to kill. Does that make sense? Much like Jesus Iscariot. Iscariot did not physically kill Messiah at all. He didn't wield the sword. He didn't, nothing of the sort. But yet, through his greed and desires, he emotionally and mentally and spiritually wanted him dead. That's the type of person you have to get rid of, even though they didn't actually kill. I'm not advocating vigilantism. <laughs> nothing of the sort. We're just assessing the idea of removing that individual or peoples that is causing evil or corruption within inside you and get it away from you, get it out from you. That's the idea. That's the concept behind it. At whatever the cost may be. Even if it results in the destruction. I believe the Apostle Paul pointed that out as well. When someone is evil in your congregation, you have to cast them out. You have to put them out. Because it will corrupt the whole body. The whole little love and love is a whole lump. That whole process. Find out what this scenario is. Like, this is a bad scenario. We need to remove the situation. Get the person out of the congregation. Or in this case, in David's case with Solomon, get him out of his kingdom. Or in the case of Messiah and his disciples, get him out of his entourage of disciples. Separate it out. Push it away. Even though it's not necessarily a murderer, you have to get them out some capacity. Does that make sense? That's where I personally, Dale Agee, believes David was coming from in the idea of Shimei. Was that you have to get rid of the one who actually wants and desires death and hatred. Even though they physically didn't do it. Any questions or comments regarding this Torah portion we covered? Our, our, our prophet study, or sorry, our, our, our kings, or, or in, in the book of John. This idea was that when you're parting your ways, you're blessing the course, you're giving blessings up, but you're also giving a specific or narrow-focused blessing. The idea that I don't just pour a blessing on my kids, or your, your children, 
for blessings and blessings and blessings, give him more and more and more and more and more. That's not what the Torah's instruction or the concept was. It was narrow focus. Okay, what is best for this particular individual? What is best or not good for this other particular individual? Then on top of that, when we go to when we come to uh, David, um, what's best for Joab was to actually die for the sins he committed. That was a good thing, even though it was a harsh, harsh punishment. And it came with Shammai, inside of his heart, he was just as corrupt and evil and death-wielding individual that you would ever meet. And so that type of person inside had to be cleansed out. Messiah came with his disciples, same process. You have a whole body that's good, but a part of you isn't. You actually have to cleanse that part away and cast it away from your whole body. The whole idea, if your hand offends, you cut it, cut it off kind of principle, that you get rid of the thing that is, that is not useful, not good for you, causes more corruption. Paul's Paul put the same thing out when it comes to you have somebody who is sinning within your congregation openly, stop sinning or leave. You have to cast them out. You have to keep outside. It's better off being outside. And Messiah also the same thing, the whole, when the doors close, we weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who are not part of will be left outside. The idea of you have to choose not just physically, but spiritually, mentally, to be part of what is right, what is good, to receive those blessings that David told Solomon. If you follow his ways, his commandments, instructions, you will get those blessings. If you choose not to, you will lose them. Does that make sense? Any questions or comments regarding our Torah portion? Anything online, you can unmute yourself if you have any comments or, or, or issues or, or things you want to share. <clears throat> all right. Anything else? Then we'll, go, we'll con- conclude with a prayer then, if that's okay with all the rest of you. Almighty God, our great Father, thank you. Thank you for our Shabbat day of rest. Thank you for teaching us and showing us what is fair and just. Father, we ask you will help us to understand how to live the life you want us to live. The life you've given instruction for all of your people, the patriarchs, to all the way through today. Father, we ask you will grant us instruction of, of good spiritual wisdom, good physical knowledge of what we are to do and how to do it. And they will follow what is good, what is right. They will pursue to cleanse what is not good, Father, away from us. We'll focus our, our lives upon you. And as you bless the balance of our, our time as we worship and end with praise and, and glorify. She was and we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O, halal dot info.